You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 371. In this episode, I talk to Elaine Pofeld about what we can learn from million-dollar businesses. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. Today, I speak to Elaine Pofeld, an independent journalist and speaker who specializes in entrepreneurship and careers. She is the author of The Million Dollar One Person Business, a book about entrepreneurs who are scaling to seven figures in revenue without employees. She has been featured in publications like Forbes and Fortune and was nominated twice for the National Magazine Award. Today, we speak about what we can learn from million dollar businesses, and especially in these challenging times. Before we dive in, I want to remind you of the resources I've put together with my team because of the coronavirus and the global recession. You may have realized by now that what you have on offer is not exactly what your ideal client needs right now. They need something different and you don't have it yet. That is what most online entrepreneurs are experiencing at the moment. And instead of running around in circles thinking about what you can sell to your ideal client, you need to pivot. That's where my bootcamp create your recession-proof offer comes to rescue. You'll create a new offer in less than 48 hours and you'll learn how to frame it so that it practically sells itself. There's a small fee to join to ensure that you take action. You can go to the show notes at sigma.com forward slash 371 where you can find links to all the turnaround resources, including the bootcamp, plus all links to Elaine Pofeld. I'm so excited to be here with Elaine Pofeld and talk about what we can learn from million-dollar businesses. Welcome to the show, Elaine. Thank you so much, Sigrun. It's great to be here, and I am so happy to have an opportunity to be of service. So I always like to share with my audience how I know people. So we met at Selena So's event, VIP networking dinner in New York last September, and she said, Sigrun, I have someone you need to meet. Here's Elaine. <laughs> and we were like, okay. And then she walked away. And then you told me you had written a book. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Sure. And I'm so happy that Selena Sue, the um, publicist extraordinaire, brought us together at that meeting. Um, the book is a million-dollar one-person business. And what I looked at is people in solo businesses, they might have contractors, but people with no payroll who were getting to 1 million in revenue in a wide variety of businesses. Um, in the US, it's been a big trend. The numbers of these businesses, while still small, has been increasing every year. And they're in every possible field you can imagine from manufacturing to real estate, to professional services. So that's what the book looks at, exactly what they're doing that's different from people in solo businesses that are struggling. 
Yeah. So I read the book after we met. Oh, great. Yeah, I did. I actually figured out I had bought it already, but then I met you and then I got a little bit guilty. Oh, well, now I have to read it. <laughs> so I read it and I love that you brought so many examples because, you know, I'm, on this, I'm in this online business bubble and I think... Oh, well, all online businesses, you know, where where some of us aiming for seven figures and others not, but you brought so many examples of other types of businesses as well. But are you seeing, is there one industry where that's easier than another or is it just doesn't matter? It's more about the business model itself. I think it's primarily about the business model. That said, there are some industries where it's more common, um, e-commerce is a pretty easy industry where if you have the right formula, you can amplify it using online ads like Google AdWords or Facebook advertising. So I see a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs, an area that's very interesting that I had no idea before researching this, that there were one-person businesses is manufacturing. Thanks to co-packers, these outsourced factories, if you come up with a great recipe in your kitchen, you can't sell it to the public in Walmart or somewhere like that for health reasons, but you can partner with them for a fee and create your product at scale as a one-person business. That was very interesting to me. I just updated the book. It's coming back out in paperback in January of 2021 with more professional services examples. This is a hot area. You have people that are really talented in their field who sometimes can charge high fees, but sometimes they come up with business models that generate recurring revenue, create more of a, um, a product out of their services. Um, some of them are doing informational marketing, similar to what you do. Maybe they create an ebook or they have paid online classes on um, Teachable or somewhere like that. Same with personal services, people like nutritionists, fitness trainers, people like that. A lot of them are becoming influencers and they're able to scale their messaging. There's also real estate. That's something available to almost anyone if they can save money. You can invest in, say, a duplex and live in one of the apartments and rent out the other one. I have one of the entrepreneurs in the book. At the time, I had written about him, Corey Binsfield. He bought, it was like 112 properties in Duluth, Minnesota, over a period of many years. It was like one property a year. And now he has even more than that. I just, when I just spoke to him and he loves um, riding his bike or skateboard around Duluth, Minnesota. It's not as expensive a market as say San Francisco where he had been living. So it's accessible and he's done quite well with it. He's a financial planner and he actually makes more from the real estate business. So it's been, it's been very exciting to see all the different things people are doing. What they have in common though is they are optimizers right? They use whatever resources they have to the max. Some have a lot of startup capital. Some don't have any. Some are introverts. Some are extroverts. Some have a deep corporate pedigree. Some are high school graduates. It doesn't matter. What they do is they optimize what they bring to the table in very creative ways. And that is what they all have in common. I love that. So even if they look like so different, and yes, what they have in common is they have contractors instead of employees and they're one people businesses optimizing. I love that you say that. Yeah. So how did you find all these people? Oh, it's such a crazy story. I write a blog for Forbes and I have to write five blogs a month. And sometimes by the time I get to number five, I'm running out of ideas. 
So I was Googling around for inspiration and I came across the Census Bureau's non-employer statistics. And those are about businesses with no payroll. And you could sort of see how the non-employer business is regarded by the fact that it's called non, right? <laughs> you know, non-entity. It's like it's less valued. It's not, not so important or not considered maybe by outsiders to be important. Exactly. But when you look at it, in our country, there are about 28 million small businesses and 81% are non-employer businesses. So this is the vast majority of businesses. And it occurred to me that people aren't being forced into being one-person businesses. A lot of people like it. They love to travel light and have the freedom. So I started poking around these numbers and I noticed that there was this pocket of businesses bringing in generally one to 2.49 million in revenue. There are some that were over 5 million, but those were, it was a very small number, but this area was pretty robust and it was growing. So I wrote this piece with the statistics only because you have no way of finding out who the entrepreneurs are from the Census Bureau. It's an anonymous survey. Well, first I wrote it and this piece goes totally viral. And I thought, well, that's interesting. It's just statistics. People are saying, Elaine, this is a cliffhanger. You haven't told us who the entrepreneurs are. You have to find out who they are. So I wrote to the readers of Forbes and it was like over a period of a year, I got five messages from different entrepreneurs who were doing this. And some of them were Rachel Charlupsky, who is still in business. She runs the babysitting company. It's this high-end babysitting service for hotels. And all of her babysitters are contractors. And then Alan Walton, he was an e-commerce entrepreneur. He runs Spy Guy, which has, um, they're called nanny cameras in the U.S. I don't know what they're called in other countries, but to protect children and elderly people from abuse. And Dan Mezaritsky, he's a fitness trainer. He licensed his methodology to other fitness trainers under his brand, people who maybe weren't so strong on marketing themselves and like to be part of a brand. And that's how he grew his business and so on. So that post, when I had those entrepreneurs in it, went even more viral. It's like my number one post of all time. So then I realized people are very interested in this and I kept covering it every time one of them would reach out to me. And now at this point, I've probably interviewed over 70 of them. So I have a pretty good understanding of what they have in common and what's different. And what I found was certain best practices seem to recur among them. One is they don't try to do everything themselves. They use automation. That's like their first line of defense. If they have some menial task in the business, they don't waste their time doing it. They'll use contractors. So if they're an accountant, they're not going to teach themselves to do web design and build their own website to save a few dollars. I mean, they might if it's the first year of the business and they have no cash coming in. But generally speaking, they try to stick with their knitting and focus on their area of expertise and let other experts help them out. You know, they'll use an outsourced bookkeeper, for instance. And then I think um, a lot of them do use coaching. I can't say they all do, but a surprising number do things like masterminds, coaching, or they have a peer accountability partner because it's lonely sometimes being a one-person business and you don't have all the ideas to solve your problems in your head. A lot of them got stuck in the zone of like 250 to 500,000 in revenue, which is where you can get by just total overwork in certain fields. 
and they couldn't push past it. And that was when they would bring in somebody or talk to a group to try to find out how to distance themselves from the business. So they're working more on strategy and thinking like an entrepreneur and business development and not getting caught up in the weeds. I mean, it's a similar mindset in a way to the e-myth, but they're not doing it with employees. They're doing it with other tools. I do think there's also a mindfulness aspect. I can't vouch for this for all of them, but I do find there are a lot of meditators, a lot of people that do yoga or fitness related things because they realize that they are the most precious resource of the business, right? If you're sick, and you're a one-person business. It's kind of like running a food truck business, and the food truck is in the shop, right? You can't, you can't operate. So they really take care of themselves. They seek community. I find that you know, some are extreme introverts, some are extroverts, but they find a way to connect with other people, which brings a lot of emotional support. So it's been, it's been really interesting to see, and I find them to be very generous. They're very charitable. They're not trying to have more money than anyone else. They're, I mean, there's a certain baseline you need to live in certain places. Like if you live in New York City or Los Angeles or some of the big cities with a family, if you bring in one million in revenue, generally speaking, they're taking home after taxes and everything else, two to $400,000 in income. So that's an upper middle class income, but they're not wildly rich. They're, they're people that value their lifestyle. In some cases, they've gone on to scale. That's what I found when I updated the book, which maybe in those cases, they're letting go of lifestyle a little bit because they're scaling like a traditional startup. But they have that option, which is nice, right? You can stay small, have a wonderful boutique business, or choose to take this thing as far as it will go. That's an option you don't have if your business is not really bringing in profits and revenue, like a lot of small businesses. Yeah. So what are you seeing some of these businesses doing right now as uh, the economy is hit very hard? What do these million dollar businesses, what can we learn from them? Well, they think very differently, Sigrun. It's funny because I have so enjoyed reaching out to them this week because I'm covering a lot of things that are really depressing. And I find myself looking for distraction by watching stupid cat videos on the internet because, I mean, the whole situation is very dire. We have a major worldwide pandemic and economies are crashing. A lot of small businesses are running out of money. We had, on the day that we're talking, the stimulus package was just voted on in the U.S. and people are waiting with bated breath to see you know, will there be aid in there for my business? A lot of the people with payroll are under a lot of pressure, but even the one person businesses are. So I thought, let me see what they're doing because they think differently. That's why they are million dollar one person businesses. What I found is some of them are using it as an opportunity for networking. I spoke with Steve Ferreira, who's in the new um, updated version of the book. He is a shipping auditor and obviously shipping has been greatly disrupted at this moment in time. And what he's doing, he's on LinkedIn and he's reaching out to potential contacts and using it as a really powerful networking time. I spoke with Elisa Shiro, who is an event planner. Now her business is at a complete standstill as far as live events. So what she did was first of all, deepened her relationship with customers, she's been renegotiating the contracts for everyone who had live events. So she sprung into action immediately. And then she thought, well, what can I do if I can't do live events? So she's doing virtual events. She shifted gears into that. And it's an area of business development. I know she had been talking about it with me prior to this happening, but she took this impetus to act and she just sprung into action basically the next day. 
thought this is really helpful. Jason Vandergreen, he does a, a business that does CAD design. He's like an engineering design. He has a network of around 40 contractors around the world. And he noticed that his Google ads were getting cheaper and cheaper. So he investigated and he found out that a lot of his competitors we're not advertising anymore and it drove the price down because they're not virtual. They weren't set up to work if people were not able to come into the office. So he doubled down on his ads and he's using it as an opportunity to grow his business, to get more work to his contractors who some are in very hard hit countries, some are not, but to keep the, the cash flowing to his team who are all small businesses themselves. And so I, I felt so positive after talking with them because I thought sometimes especially for people who are really challenged right now, maybe clients are not paying them, sales are not coming in. There's a feeling of panic for people. Like, is this thing that I've been building and counting on for my income going to just disintegrate? And you realize there's something that all of us can do in these situations if we think creatively and keep panic at bay. And I think that's an important thing to do. I I find, you know, a lot of them say that they're, they've been taking time to exercise and that sort of thing. I've been try to, trying to follow their lead and live stream my yoga class, my yoga school. I'm so grateful to them. They have been live streaming six times a day so that we can do yoga. And I got up this morning and did it and it really changed my outlook as I have to go in and report on this stuff today. And I think we should all be doing that, you know, trying to keep ourselves as calm as possible you know, allow maybe 10 minutes a day for a total freak out and then return to, you know, let it go and then return to normal and surround yourself with positive people who are finding opportunity in this situation. Because even if you're stuck at home, as long as you have an internet connection, and even if you don't, right, say it goes out, you can still use your phone, use this opportunity to do things you've been putting off in your business. I find there are a number of businesses that are also pivoting, that have been doing things in person, that are taking their business online. I just spoke with one entrepreneur who does in-person birthday parties for children. He has a franchise, and he's way beyond a million-dollar one-person business, but the franchisees, some of them are one-person franchises, and they start virtual birthday parties for all the kids who missed their birthday party this month. I know I have a 10-year-old son. He was invited to three birthday parties this month. These poor boys they can't celebrate with their friends. So I thought, what a wonderful idea, you know, to make it a special day. So there's always something that you can do, even if no money is coming in, because you're planting seeds now that will come in later. I think some people may have to take some of the emergency jobs that are out there temporarily, like loading packages for Amazon or whatever, and just do it to bring money in temporarily there's no shame in that if you have no money coming into your business you're keeping the lights on so that you can get back into the ring as soon as this is all over and it will be over at some point we don't know when and it's going to be later than we think but it will be over like all the other crises that we've been through mm. I love that you mentioned the example with the Google ads we've already seen a dip in Facebook ads as well and I've told my team let's take an advantage of that because now all the shops, the offline shops are closed and we're not competing with them. If we're competing with anyone, it's someone is in a similar situation, an online entrepreneur that has a seven-figure business. But, you know, 
there's less of those. So I think double down on marketing in general, whether it's paid or organic, is, is perfect timing right now, especially when there's many who don't. Oh, I think you're so right about that. I think people tend to cut back on marketing because they think no one's buying. And I saw that in the last recession, the people who doubled down on their marketing, in the beginning, you don't get a return on it sometimes. But then what happens is later in the year or early next year, you'll suddenly start seeing the results of all that you've been doing now. And you don't have to spend money necessarily. I see a lot of people doing online seminars for free. I see business coaches offering free coaching sessions. People, I think, are drawn to small business because they do like to help others and serve. I mean, we all need to make a living and make profits and things like that. But in times like this, that's not the primary consideration. I think we're all part of society and we each have our own special discipline where we can be helpful. And this is a time where you really do have a big opportunity to give and help other people. And if you're bringing in too much business, a lot of us know our competitors. And even though you sort of enjoy the spirit of competition, a lot of us help each other. You know, you can farm work out to a friendly competitor and help them too if you're bringing in too much. So that's that's another thing to think about. Don't worry so much about capacity because there's probably someone out there who's underutilized, who you can call into service and who will really, really appreciate it. Yeah. No, I think there's so much entrepreneurs can do now. I, I've been, you know, we are doing a lot in my business and I think I've inspired others to do the same. And that's the whole point of this discussion now, to inspire people to take action and not just sit back and wait for it to be over. Just do something. Everyone can do something. Absolutely. You know, one other thing I, I will mention is paying people quickly right now is really important because as we see with all the cash flow frozen, what happens if you have money coming in, don't hoard, pay people, pay your contractors, because that little bit of money might be all that they need to sustain themselves for another few weeks until they get more substantial help. Because we, we're an ecosystem, right? And if the whole ecosystem blows apart or people lose faith in it, then what's it all worth, right? Then the whole thing blows up. So I, I remember in the last recession, I was standing in line. I had just spoken with my, I have two businesses, my business partner, and she said, she has her money in a big bank. And she said, Elaine, do you think it's weird that it's taking 12 days for my checks to clear. And I said, well, yeah, that is a little odd, but I'm finding the same thing and I go to a different bank. So I'm kind of standing there in line debating, should I put my check in this bank or is this thing gonna topple? This was like the worst of the recession. And then my best friend calls me. She says, Elaine, I'm thinking of taking all my money out of the bank. And I'm like, hold on a minute. And then it's my dad. He's like, Elaine, I'm thinking of taking all my money out of the bank. And so I get back on with both of them. I said, I don't think you should do it. I can't give you advice, but I'm putting this check in the bank. And I think in times like this, even though the system is obviously very broken, it still serves us to have it. So take those acts of faith you know, write the check to somebody, put the check in the bank and support the system, even as we work to improve it, because we need it. We need it. Like, you know, as entrepreneurs, we've got our own quick ways of organizing and decentralized things that we do. But we also need, we need the banks to be running. 
we need commerce to continue. And there's so much we can do. And like, I know I'm, I'm sure they're doing this in other places that are still allowing food delivery. They had a day in the United States yesterday where they said, you know, please order takeout from your favorite restaurant because they're just sitting idle in many restaurants. And these owners have food that is going to spoil. So there's things like that that we can all do, even in the tiniest little way. You know, your $50 or whatever you pay somebody maybe their cost of living is low and it will get them through a couple of days. So even if you think you can't do anything, you, you actually can. And it will really, really make a difference. I know you, you and I were talking offline, how much people really will remember that after this is all over. So it does make a difference in this human family that we're all part of. Absolutely. And I think it's important if, if people have some sort of a payment plans to uh, not just stop paying because, you know, a payment plan is not a subscription. And I think that's something people need to honor. I think the best you can do, and this is, you know, I was a turnaround CEO 16 years ago, and I took over a company that had been losing money for seven years. And I started to write emails to all the people and companies we owed money. And I could obviously not pay everyone at the same time when there wasn't enough cash for it. But I was proactive and I would make suggestions. And I would say 99% of the time, the suggestion was accepted. I was asking people to maybe waive interest rates or split the payment up in three or extend the payment plan. So I just, you know, I, I, I want to hope that people honor contracts they have signed up for and do their best to pay it and not just disappear and hope it goes away because that's the worst for the economy as well. That's true. When people start losing trust and faith that... Other people will, will keep their commitment. Sometimes you really can. Like you said, communication is really important. If people know that you will pay when you can, that makes a difference. Because no one wants you to go without eating or, you know, turn the lights off in your house or turn the water off, you know, to just pay their bill. And the flip side of that is if you can be flexible, you know, if maybe send your invoices out a little late if you think that your clients are challenged. Don't be, you know, so rigid about collecting right now because some people just can't pay and it's just going to add to their stress. I think if we all sort of think that way, it'll alleviate some of the crisis because it's all human beings. Business is just people. We have a lot of latitude in how we conduct our businesses and people will, I, I think they will remember it if you're generous. I, I see a lot of landlords who are saying, you know, I understand I have small business tenants they're not going to be able to pay and they're trying to negotiate with their banks to get the mortgage relaxed for a few months. That's not going to go unnoticed. It's really, really important. But at the same time, you do want to keep working on getting cash coming in <laughs> because that's in the end, that's the solution really to most business problems. It is. But I've seen a lot of shaming around that, that people are out Oh, like taking advantage of the situation or it's not the time to be selling anything. What do you say about that? Well, you don't want to sell things people don't need. But to me, I'm grateful for people who are selling what I need, right? If I can order something online that my family needs or they're selling laundry to church in or, you know, what, whatever I need during this situation, I think most people feel that way. And I, I think if you sell things that are targeted to what people are experiencing now, a lot of things have changed overnight. So maybe your offering needs to be updated to reflect what the reality is. Like say you're a financial planner, 
right? <laughs> you're going to have to adjust your, you know, what you're saying in your marketing, but it doesn't mean people don't need your help. They probably need it more than ever. Same with anything. I mean, even things like an impulse buy, it was funny because yesterday I'm working and I'm getting down about the news. And, and then one of my favorite stores is White House Black Market. And they sent this little email about their latest sale. And I'm like, I shouldn't even be looking at clothing. And, and I didn't buy anything, but, but I, it just gave me like a little bit of fun during my day to just see what the new styles were. And it didn't offend me to get that. I was like, you know what, when this is all over, I'm going to go back to the boutique and buy something. And I think that's how people look at it. There's nothing insensitive about it if it's done in the right way. I mean, I did, it was funny because one of my credit card companies sent a note and it was, we hope you're okay during the crisis. And, oh, remember to pay your bill. <laughs> I thought that was really kind of tone deaf. And I actually had paid the bill. But I thought for someone who was hurting, you know, at that moment and couldn't pay the bill, they'd be pretty bummed out to get this. And I thought, well, they, they need a good corporate communications person to think about the tone of this a bit. And it was funny because someone else mentioned it to me. They got this, you know, I, it must be like a mass email that they send out. So you can make mistakes in communication. It's important to think about if the person receiving it is in trouble right now financially, how, how will they feel getting this and be sensitive to it? But there's so many valuable things people are selling right now that I don't think you should really stop selling. And I'm sure the $1 million businesses and beyond that you've been talking to lately are not stopping selling. They're not stopping. No, they're all going strong. I mean, certain people sell different, like, like Elisa Shiro, she's an event planner, right? You're not going to be actively selling live events, right, at this moment. Or maybe you would be, but it would be going into the end of the year, early next year. But there, there's still so much you can market and sell. And people understand you're in business. You have to make a living. And there's so many opportunities we put on the back burner. I think business development, especially in a one-person business, gets so neglected. And we're always like, oh, I should do this thing online, or I'm going to convert this over, or I'm going to do some sort of recurring revenue stream. And we don't get around to it because we're so busy meeting our daily needs. So this is an opportunity to really think big picture and get out of the weeds of your business, have some distance, think about what's causing you stress in the business, and how can you offload that. I know I, a couple of years ago, I remember I, like for me, bookkeeping always caused me stress. I hated entering everything into the program and I'd be so behind on it. And then I'd have to spend a whole weekend doing it. And I remember when it was a beautiful weekend, my kids want to go outside and I'm in the house doing that. And I was like, this is insane. Why am I doing this? And I, 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 I use um, Bench. It's like a semi-automated system where you pay a certain amount per month and you have an assigned bookkeeper, but they automate a lot of it to just pull in. And that was such a godsend. And now my books are always up to date. And, and there are other competing services, but do things like that this week. Think about all your pain points. Or, I mean, another thing I thought is when I do the books, a lot of times I wind up spending so much time looking up the passwords and blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's, I was thinking document, right? A lot, that's another common thing I notice with these entrepreneurs. They document their processes so that another person can do them and just to do them more efficiently. And I thought, I don't really document my bookkeeping processes because I hate the whole thing. And I should be doing that this week. Although I've been actually really busy because I'm a journalist, so I'm covering <laughs> the news. Yeah. So maybe it won't happen for me. But for people, if your business is slow, 
For sure. I mean, the other thing is charitable stuff right now. There's a lot of people that are afraid to go into the grocery store. I know my business partner is volunteering for Meals on Wheels. They bring meals to seniors. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that I just think bring good karma into your life and are helpful to other people. Those are good things for business owners to be doing because we tend to be energetic. And, and I think that energy is really good for other people to be around if they're isolated and alone. Actually, I think some businesses like yours and mine, I feel more busy than before. But at the same time, I have like, well, I could now do my website. Now I could write my book. I'm just wondering if I really will get time for it because I, I feel there is a lot of need for someone like me who actually does help offline businesses go online and online businesses grow in challenging times. But I'm like, I'm determined to find the spot. I want to find the time for it. I know it's, it's hard. I, I've been finding I'm busier than ever. I, I was working till like 10 o'clock last night and I, my day started at five in the morning because there's a lot of other things too that many of us are coping with. I, I don't know what the situation is in Switzerland where you are, but our kids are being homeschooled, doing online school. And I have four kids who are home right now, plus their after school activities are being live streamed now. So like we have really busy days for all of them. And I, I have teachers emailing me to say, you know, so-and-so hasn't logged in yet. And I think, oh, well, maybe it's because they were up a little later than usual watching a movie. <laughs> And, and so it, it might not be our moment to do these things, but it's a good time to just, I think, think about what's important. You know, with writing books, for instance, I, I am a ghostwriter in addition to writing my own books. And I think I've seen a big surge of clients when world events happen because people say, I, you know, I really want to write a book at some point in my life and I'm not getting around to it. I've been trying to do it on my own. I need an accountability partner. I have some people that are like editing clients and then I have some that just want to offload the whole thing. And it's always that motivation. They feel like this is kind of on their list of things to do in their life. And when you have a crisis, it reminds you of what's really important to you. And then it might also be a time where you discard certain projects and you just say, you know what? That's been on my list for years. I'm never going to do it. Something in me doesn't want to do it or the timing isn't right. And I'm just going to let it go and focus on what I really do want to do at this point in my life. I mean, certain things are also time sensitive. Like when you have, I have four kids that are still in the house. So there's things that I do want to do, but aren't convenient to do right now. So you might just say, I'm going to put that on my 10 years from now list <laughs> because it's just not practical to see the whole world right now. I mean, maybe it is if I was a really great digital nomad, but I'm not. I think it's a good time for reflection and also talking. I find I'm talking to a lot of people that I haven't had a chance to talk to in a while. And I think that human connection and not just emailing back and forth or texting, but really, you know, even a video call like you and I are doing, it's so nice when you're cooped up in the house and trying to do your part with social distancing to really just hear another human voice. And I, I especially, I, I think about my house is very noisy because we have all, all the family members here, but there are people that work completely solo. And I would imagine that for some, the walls are kind of closing in it right around now. <laughs> so call a solopreneur who's alone in their house and see how they're doing. Because mental health is important too. I think, you know, it's easy for people to get depressed or anxious with all the news. And sometimes if you don't have a sounding board to talk you down from the cliff, then 
you know, it, it helps to have a friend call up. So I would encourage everybody, you know, check in on your friends who you think might be alone with this and see how they're doing. See what you can. I mean, I know you're doing a lot to help people. Yeah, we have been so busy and we continue to be busy helping our clients and the community. And I hope to inspire others to do the same. And and that's why we've had this uh, wonderful conversation, Elaine, of what we can learn from million dollar businesses or what you're doing right now. And I think at the end of the day, people will remember that who was there for them when they needed them the most. I, I think you're so right about that. And I'm really looking forward to your continuing online programming. I'm very, very excited to see it because it really is needed. I've been going to some of these events and I, I find that it's such a bright spot in my day to just see all those entrepreneurial people on the screen and just reconnect with why I'm doing this. And I, I think you're, you're really providing a valuable service for people. Well, Elaine, I'm excited about your upcoming book. I've already read the first one, so I do recommend people grab it and stay tuned for the new version of it. And Elaine, where can people find you online? They can find me on LinkedIn under my full name. I'm sure it's in the show notes or on Twitter or Facebook under those under my name. I also have some news to share, which I wasn't sure I would be able to. I have a new book coming out. It's called Tiny Business, Big Money. And it looks at businesses that are getting to that next stage of building small teams, whether it's, it's a contracted team or whether they have one or two employees. Because I realized there's not that much difference, really. Like if you have one admin and it's pretty much all you running the business, you're not that different from the million dollar one person business. These are all million dollar plus businesses. But looking at how do you put the systems in place and how do you build a culture when it's three people and the things that I never see in any book, but I hear people talking about a lot. So that, that book will be out in September after the January release of the um, paperback of the first book. So I'm going to be busy writing. I should be writing it right now as we speak, but, <laughs> but I'm too distracted by the coronavirus crisis. But I think we're also going to find at that time, a lot of people, their work situation will have changed. And often in, if there is a recession, hopefully there won't be. But realistically speaking, there will be some sort of slowdown. Starting a business can be a great way to get back on your feet financially. Or starting a new business or a new line of business can be really good for people if their business no longer holds up. Because everything changed overnight with this thing. Some things will go back to the way they were, but some things will not. And we're not going to know what those things are until a few months pass. So I think it's important to keep on reading, educating yourself. I mean, online on LinkedIn and other places, the programs that you're doing are really informing people in real time. And I'll be reporting on that. So I encourage people to reach out to me too. If you are running a tiny business that makes big money, let me know. And I'd love to know what you're doing to grow the business. Fabulous. Oh, excellent. I'm excited about both of your books. And we will link everything up in the show notes, Elaine. It's been a pleasure to connect with you. I hope we meet again in New York whenever that will be possible. <laughs> you know, it's so funny, Sigrid. I, I mentioned I have four kids. I rarely get out at night. I have no evening social life whatsoever. That was one of my rare, my rare journeys out. And some people were mad at me when they heard that I went to it because I couldn't come to their events at night. But my kids' evening schedule is so difficult. So it was like fate that brought us together that night. So I'm glad, I'm glad we connected. Hopefully the next time I get out at night, I'll see you there. Yes. <laughs> I'll see you there. 
Well, I don't believe in coincidences, so it was all meant to be. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Okay. Go to the show notes at sigm.com forward slash 371, where you can find links to all our turnaround resources, all the free resources, plus the bootcamp that you can join for a very small fee and the links to Aileen Pofeld. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listened. By tagging me in your Insta story or Instagram post using my handle sigrun.com and the hashtag Sigrun Show. And I would also love if you would leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, if you haven't done that already. I'll see you in the next episode.